0: This podcast is designed for you to discover more about who you are, to challenge your old adopted beliefs, and to expand your awareness of what's really possible. I'm Adam Esco, and this is The Unspoken Agreements. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Unspoken Agreements podcast. I'm your host, Adam Esco. So this is going to be a lot of fun for me. I get to introduce... Brian Levinson, one of my oldest and absolute best friends on this whole earth. And before I do that, I just want to say thank you for being here. You know, this podcast really started off with my desire to explore what transformation could look like um, to, to challenge, start off with the, the idea to challenge old adopted beliefs that aren't serving us anymore. And this kind of stemmed from my path. I was in a career for 14 years as a dentist, as a periodontist that i absolutely had no fulfillment and especially towards the end i didn't want to be there i, I kind of dreaded waking up dread going to work most days and i didn't feel like i could do anything else i didn't feel like there were any options out there for me and what i had was an old adopted belief system that wasn't serving me because i wanted something more for myself i just didn't know what that looked like so a little bit about myself. Now I get to help professionals who feel trapped in their work and I help them explore and find what meaningful work looks like to them and I develop, help them develop the mindset and emotional resilience so they can lead their own profitable business and we co-create strategies and skill sets for them to make that a reality. So if this is something that speaks to you, check me out at www.adamesco.com. I also want to give a shout out to Truth Work Media who produce this podcast. They're absolutely freaking awesome to work with. Uh, Michael is someone that I have a great relationship with there. He cares a lot about people. He just is a caring person. And, um, if you're someone that wants to get into podcasting, you don't really know where to start. Maybe you're an individual person, maybe you're a big business, small business. It doesn't really matter. They are uh, someone I definitely want to give a plug to because they can hold your hand along the way. They can provide great advice and they're just people that um, will care, care about their work and care about people. So shout out to them. All right, now the actual fun could begin. It's time to introduce Brian Levinson, who is just a absolute force on this earth. Someone, he, Brian's just a absolute passionate person. He cares very deeply about people. He cares about what he's doing. And if he doesn't feel like he's impacting the way that he wants, he's going to find a way to go out and find out what that is. Um, and he's doing that on a big stage right now. He is the founder of Strong Skills, which provides executive coaching and mental performance coaching uh, to organizations. Um, Brian's someone that's been working with CEOs, professional athletes, uh, whole teams in the NBA, the NHL, MLS, Division One. He's works with the has worked with the Department of Homeland Security, YPO, the Federal Reserve. I mean, many many organizations. He's doing amazing things for them and he's just written such an impactful book called shift your mind and I give I call myself out on this I'm about 60 or 65% of the way through I'm not fully through it yet but I can't put it down it's that good it is a great framework he provides these frameworks and these shifts in the book and he's going to talk about that during the episode which differentiate how to show up in your preparation and how to show up in your performance. And there's just so much incredible value uh, with this book that you could take. Not only, definitely, not only if you're an athlete. If you're an athlete, great. But in any performer, um, clearly he's got a a sweet spot when it comes to performance because he has also an amazing podcast called the Intentional Performers Podcast, where he interviews a, deg- a diverse group of high performers, like elite performers, and he really teases out. He does a fantastic job teasing out. Um, what they're intentional about that makes them great performers. So I give a shout out to his podcast. It's something I still listen to, and he gets just great people on it as well. So let's get into it because Brian, just he's just amazing. And he, um, again, you're going to love him. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Brian Levinson. This is a freaking awesome treat for me. Brian Levinson in the house, one of my oldest and absolute best freaking friends here. This is so cool. First of all, Brian, thanks so much for being here, man.
1: How much are we going to laugh our way through this? Because uh, uh, there, there's like some cheesing going on ear to ear for both of us to take this seriously. But we will we will take this as seriously as we possibly can.
0: We're going to take this so less serious than usual. There's going to be laughing. There might be some love yous going across the mic. Brian Levinson, a.k.a. John Stockton, <laughs> coach and and especially, uh, which is really cool and exciting to say, author of this new incredible book, Shift Your Mind. Um, you are an amazing human being, and you gave me uh, a chance to read this book, and it's been freaking impactful. It's really woke me up in so many different ways, and I'm hoping we could talk about that a lot today on the pod. So... Here's where I think is actually a pretty cool place to start. Um, you know, our, our relationships continue to change, continue to grow as we've gotten older. You're someone that I've asked for advice, uh, especially a lot recently. Uh, I'm not sure you remember this. When I was thinking about starting a coaching career, um, I, 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 the first person I talked to was Caroline, my wife, of course. Right. I have to say that it's you know, on the record and off the record. That's That's the truth. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to do this coaching thing, but, like, I have no idea where to start. Like, I was just absolutely clueless. And we were talking about it for a little bit, and then, really, we both kind of looked at each other and were like, yeah, we got to go talk to Brian. Like, absolutely talk to Brian. I don't even think there was anybody. <laughs> I don't think there was anybody else. It was unanimous. I came over to your house. We went to your basement. I'm kind of thinking back and picturing myself on your on your couch down there. And I was like, Hey, Brian, like, I'm, yeah, I'm really interested in this coaching thing. Like, what are your thoughts? And dude, you, you, you challenged me that day. You definitely challenged me. Um, you said it like, you look, and you were, you had gone through this process for years. Um, you weren't trying to sway me one way or another, but I think what you provided me that day was a voice of honesty and of contrast. And, you're like it's not that you can't do it but it might just take you a long time to do it. and not necessarily but you got to be open to that possibility and i just think about that like you are the type of person that will be that voice of contrast you always are up for a challenge you're never afraid of a fight growing up you didn't back down to people that are bigger than you and, dude, you move towards the fire when people move away from the fire. And I, and when I first sat down and read this book, and this is where I think will be cool to start, I looked at that first chapter, and it was humility versus arrogance. I was like, what a freaking kick in the mouth with arrogance. And before we go there, I just want to um, – I think where it might be a good place to start is I'm really curious when you started becoming aware of these mind sh- mindset shifts in – preparation versus performance. All
1: right, we'll get to the book, but there's too much to unpack there to not address. Number one, he called me Stockton because when we were growing up as kids, we lived a couple of houses away from each other and he had an awesome black top uh, basketball court on the side of his house. And him and I played basketball growing up together. And Adam was always tall and I was always short. And we still have managed to have that be or I didn't grow and Adam continued to be pretty tall, at least for, for our uh, people. And so we would run pick and roll and Adam would be Carl Malone and I'd be John Stockton.
0: So fundamental.
1: And we were very good and we dominated our local little town. And then Adam continued to be a great basketball player. And I just, uh, it never came for me, but that's a whole nother woe is me story that we don't need to get into. But, um, You know, first of all, excited for you. Um, Your courage, vulnerability, willingness to shift uh, your journey is—I'm going to use that word—courageous. It's inspiring, and I do remember when we chatted. And you know, one of the things that I'm very conscious of was when somebody does ask for advice. Uh, First of all, I don't think people should give advice unless someone asks them for advice. Let's let's start there. I think a lot of us give advice when we're not being asked for advice. And so that's something I've worked on for myself is to try not to give advice. And it's really simple to ask people permission for advice. Hey, do you mind if um, I give you some advice here? And, and people will say no and people will say yes. But I find usually if you ask for permission, people are more open to it. But I was... When you initially said, I'm interested in coaching, the way I heard it was, I thought you wanted to get coached. And at the time, I had referred a lot of my close friends to other coaches just cuz I believe in the process of getting coached and then you said no Ryan I think I'm interested in like becoming a coach and I was I was taken aback by it and part of the reason I was taken aback by it and once again we'll get to the book in plenty of time here was because I for years growing up with you had this wonder as to why you were going down the path you were going down career-wise. Um, like From my perspective and from having an up-close and personal seat to, to watch you, and I did, I've known you, I always joke, I've known you your whole life because we grew up in the same neighborhood and you were born after me. Yeah.
0: Never caught up, too.
1: Never caught up. and I always saw you as a creative, dynamic, big Personality that everyone liked. Like uh I never ran into anyone that didn't like Adam. And you mentioned that I was like a little fighter growing up. I probably fought with all of our friends, and you're the only one that I think I never came close to fighting. I felt like we never came close. And when I say fighting, like I was a little scrapper. Like I would have no qualms. I mean, my friend, our our, our other best friend Matt Weber, and I used to just go at it. Our other friend Michael Burns, I remember going at it with. Uh, like I would. I had some anger and some fire. Uh, I still have that. I still have it. It's just I hope that I've cultivated a different relationship with it. So, And part of that was also a defense mechanism. I think I never really got picked on much. And when people did pick on me, I wasn't very scared uh, to back down, um, for better or for worse. Having said all that, back to you, like watching you, and I just thought you had all of these talents and these gifts, and when you started to go into dentistry, I was—it made sense. I thought it was logical. Um, and but I was always curious. Like I thought, I imagined Adam being in Los Angeles doing like movie writing or some sort of performing. And so, for those that are listening, it's not surprising that he has a podcast. I th- I just think he has a way with words and a presence about him that's that's unique. So, just back to that moment. Um, I think for me, it was going to be important that I read you the riot act, um, right out the gates on some of the challenges that come with starting your own business that are different than you were starting your own business in dentistry, but it was different. I mean, it's a, and you probably realize this now more than you did then. It's a field that people will go to, like they're in pain. They're going to go. Get help. I and I knew that because I went and saw you and saw the way you worked in the chair. And it wasn't until I actually had you do surgery on me that I then realized why you you did go that path. There was something really appealing to me to be able to have someone come in that's in pain to help them and make them better. I think that is a massive gift that doctors and dentists often forget. Uh, nurses that they have this. It's it's essential. Literally, it's an essential job. Um, So it wasn't until I had surgery with you that I had finally gotten my head around, like, oh, this is why Adam's doing what he's doing. And then sure enough, not too long after that, you sort of said to me, I'm not sure that this is the path I want. And so when I heard that, I think my perspective is to be really honest and truthful to people, to explain that my journey is different than their journey, that my background is different than their background. And I think a lot of people see things, they see someone in where they're at and they don't realize all of the challenges that it took to get to where they're at. And I'm just real about that. I'm real also about some advantages that I've had. Um, so I, I, look, I think we tend to glamorize success and sometimes forget about the path and so I have no doubt that you're going to be a badass coach speaker consultant whatever path you you end up blazing for yourself and like the game I'm in is a long game like it is a constant long game and um but I I just wanted you to be aware of it and I think the game that you're playing is going to be different than the game I'm playing so it's not even apples to apples but I always try to share my perspective cuz people see like a logo or they see that you've worked with an organization or a team or, or someone, and they just see that and they don't see all the other stuff underneath it, which is not always glamorous.
0: Yeah, thanks, buddy. I definitely um, hear what you're saying. I receive your words. You know, it's funny how you see our, we're going back to our high school selves, right? Like you saw me as this uh, creative person that might end up in Los Angeles again. In my mind, I might have had confidence issues around that and didn't see any of that and was probably more interested in picking something that was safe in a career that was going to kind of check those safety boxes.
1: Where, where does safety come from? Cause the reason I'm going here is cause I have never said that I value safety or security. And I think part of the reasons I never valued safety and security is cause I always felt like I had it.
0: Yeah. I mean, so like the way I'm using safety, there is financial security probably mostly, which was something that, was ingrained. Um, I, so we're all using, like I'm sure there's ways that you were using safety. Safety may have felt totally different to you, but that's probably the, the number one thing that came out. Hey, something that's going to be stable, something that's going to um, make me have that consistent income coming through the door that I could wake up and go to work. I just thought that was going to be the answer. Right. But it, but it wasn't, it fell short.
1: And it's interesting, Adam, cause your dad is in the field that you pursued my dad is sort of in i'm not pursuing what he pursued but for us we we me and when i say us me and i've got two brothers and i can't speak for them but from my perspective we were always told go do something that you're going to get fulfillment from go do something that you know you're good at go do something that can make an impact that was at least the story that i heard and that i gravitated toward Um, But my two brothers went into like, my my older brother got an MBA and and started in in finance and then started his own company. My younger brother studied finance and then went and worked for a bank in New York and and then tried to do his own thing. So it's interesting. I was always more interested in like the human experience than my two brothers. But I think the value of um, autonomy and creating was probably spread amongst the three of us. And so
0: Yeah. And so would you say that they feel like in their way they are having fulfillment and impact in the way that they want to show up? Because you guys all are different career paths, like totally.
1: Yeah, different career paths. And I think approach work differently as well. I don't know. I it's a good question to sort of bring up with them in the future. I we haven't spent too much time like unpacking this sort of stuff with each other. Um I think fulfillment was absolutely something that we heard uh from both my parents is like do something that makes you fulfilled.
0: Um that's, one, so, that's just such a huge gift by the way. Right. Huge. Like imagine privilege. Like privilege. Like, huge. Well, just hey like do do what's gonna fulfill you. Um and by the way you could be successful too, right? Woof.
1: Yeah, go for your dreams was another one. Like there's no reason to sort of I'm gonna say play small, but there's no reason that you can't
0: like go chase big things. Um, You know what's so funny about this in our work, especially when you get the higher up, how often do you hear about imposter, see just people with imposter syndrome? It's like epidemic, right? That's the real pandemic. When you have heard messages like that growing up and you're seeing and hearing this from your parents, does that show up in your world as much between your ears?
1: My, I mean, to be transparent, like my dad's super successful guy in a lot of different ways, however you define success. I think how most people would define success, you probably will check, check those boxes, family man, home for dinner every night, coached our sports teams. Your dad did, did as well. Mm-hmm. Um, married happily, uh, three kids that are contributing to society in some capacity, uh, financially built business, um, generally pretty happy um, go to golf. I <laughs> mean, like, you know, that's awesome. So, you could say
0: that right now, by the way, it, it, yeah, he's
1: going to like that. we will send this to him. He'll like that. I threw that in there. He loves to talk about that. So, um, I think, I think we all feel a sense of imposter syndrome in something. Like we're not all confident in everything that we do. Like I feel an imposter when I'm learning about investments or, or money or finance. Like I'm like, oh, I don't really know my stuff here, but you have me talk about what we're talking about. Like I can all day long do it all day. So I think we all have a level of imposter syndrome. It just depends on what we're doing for a living, which is why I think it's important you do stuff you're good at. Um, like I could have, maybe I could have gone on wall street and done decent work there, but I wasn't really good at it. And there are people that are very good at something and still feel like they're an imposter. Um, but yeah, you're 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 sort of shaking your head. You know what I'm shaking my that. head because
0: I'm just thinking back. Like I was bottom, probably third hand skills in dentistry. In the beginning, I just – natural talents, hand skills, I didn't have it. I might have had it on the basketball court a little bit, by the way. But on the – but in, like, when I got into dental school, we had to wax up teeth. We, like, took teeth and, waxed, and Like, you had to, like, actually design a tooth from scratch, from a big ball of wax. My teeth were freaking terrible. It was, like it – it looked like a, I don't know, Dracula thing. Um, Caroline's was always ridiculous. Um, but, like, that is something, you know, with just incredible amount of desire – and maybe even some fear behind it, I I got p- decent at hand at hand skills. It's something that I kind of grew into.
1: But do you think like do you think like if your job was solely hand skills, that you would have been proficient at it?
0: Well, I mean, thinking about the surgeries, I wasn't, I wasn't like, I was a, I just this is about humility and arrogance, right? So this is where it all started. I was above average with room to go, grow. I would never have been at the top. I don't like talent wise. I think I would have peaked. And I know you talk about that a lot in terms of potential and how you reach that potential. But I now have realized that you could, there's so much room to grow. If, even if you don't necessarily love it, like there's gotta be something, but you could break through those barriers. And I probably, I I probably did that in dentistry.
1: I have a memory and we're going to have so many memories between the two of us. So for people to give them context, like Adam and I, went to nursery school together. Then we went to elementary school, then middle school, high school. We went to camp together. Like if I add up the amount of time that I spent with Adam, slept over at each other's houses on weekends and played during the week. I mean, just so many memories with the two of us. And I remember freshman year, we were trying out for our high school basketball JV team. And I'm looking around and I'm like, there's not a lot of point guards. Um, And I was a point guard. And I get to the tryouts and I thought I crushed it. And I remember we're driving home and your older brother was trying out too. Uh, He's a year older. And so he was a sophomore and we were freshmen. And I'm like, I'm going to make this team. No doubt. No question. You're like, ah, I'm not sure if I will. I remember Mm -hmm. what you're like, (laughs) I'm not sure if I Adam is saying, I'm not sure if I Adam will. And then of course Adam makes the team and I, I get cut. Um, and I think you you'd always have had I remember talking about this at your wedding like this humility about you that if people don't know you might they might think you're being like fake modest and like I remember you right I'm like no this is actually who Adam is it's who he's always been it's a part of what I think makes him special and you always have been the one that's like Brian I can't believe you're doing this and I can't believe you're doing that you you prop people up and um I like I have no problem being other people's cheerleader, propping them up. But like, I have this conviction in myself that like for those basketball teams, I was like, no, I, I'm going to make this team. Like there's a, there is an arrogance I would say inside of me that when the lights are on, I have conviction that I'm going to find a way. And, and sometimes that's exaggerated. So I probably had an exaggerated sense of how good I was at basketball, but I was five foot, nothing, 100, nothing. So I would argue that that helped me when we got between the lines, like I wasn't going to back down from a guy who's six foot. And I I truly believed back then that I was better than everyone when I stepped on the floor. And I, I saw no reason to really think otherwise when I got between the lines. Now, was I going back at it? This gets into the book. I don't think I did enough humble preparation in basketball. So the feedback I got, when I got cut from that team freshman year from the coach, I remember it was me and a bunch of other small kids that got cut that last cut. And the coach said, you all need to get bigger and stronger. Now, when I heard that, I heard you're not tall enough. And that wasn't the complete message, you know, bigger and stronger. Like looking back at it, I didn't go and hit the weight room. I didn't get myself more athletic, stronger to make up for the lack of me being short And if I could say anything to the freshman version of myself, I would say, Brian, he gave you some feedback that you could have used. And I didn't have the humility to go prepare. I didn't go, like I would work on my game, but I wasn't going to like a skills guy or I wasn't like every day for two hours in the morning getting shots up. I mean, I did not give myself the best chance to be successful at that. And I think that's something that I've changed, hopefully, over the course of my life as I've become more aware of this framework that the book is about. It's like, yeah, I need to develop that humble preparation, learn how to take feedback um, better. I think there's blessings and curses to everything. So I talked about my parents, but I have another memory I think I talk about in the book. Like In eighth grade, I was running for student class president, and my dad just redlined my entire speech and edited it and gave me all this feedback. And, like, I ended up winning and had a great speech. But from that point forward, I didn't really want people to edit my work. And I used to get worse grades because I would turn in papers and be like, oh, this is just the way my brain, you're getting the unfiltered version of Brian. This is, like, art, like I was Hemingway or something. And uh, I think those are mistakes. I think that that's that's not the best possible Get, it doesn't give you the, yeah, it gave you the best possible opportunity to be successful. So um, in the book we talk about humble preparation, having or showing a modest or low estimate of your own importance, and then shifting into this arrogant mind and performance where you have this exaggerated sense that you are capable of doing something and it's unshakable, it's unflappable. Just because the results aren't there, you stay with it. and And so going back, I, I think I always had a lot more of the performance mind than the preparation mind. I still do. But a lot of my clients, I would say most of my clients are really good at the preparation. I think our academic school system sets people up. If you want to thrive in school, if you prepare and do the work and do the homework, like we reward it. If you do the work, if you show your work, we reward that stuff. Um, but a lot of the real world is a wicked environment. Like most of our life, you can prepare, but then something's going to smack you in the face and you're going to have to go in a different direction. You're going to have to adjust. So I know I'm riffing here a little bit, but
0: you know i I, the, I mean what i'm hearing from that first story was um which is 100 percent of how others perceive you they perceive you as a leader there's perceived someone that's fiery we already talked about that and that arrogance for you you were i mean you and martin Bahar were gamers right you guys when 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 Game time came, you showed up, and you guys freaking delivered. Like, you delivered on the court. You did that all through camp. You did that when we were growing up on our teams. Like, you were our leader. You had awesome games. Um, and I'll contrast that. And I think that arrogance really served you, especially when the lights were on, because yeah, I had some fine games. and But one that I remember, and this is where humility got me, uh, it was a high school game. I think it was a sophomore junior year. I went oh for at least 12 maybe 14 from three-point line I remember and during the book when I was starting reading the book I was like this memory came back into my mind I was like wow I wish I had part of these shifts in that moment because what I started going into was analysis what you talk about I started thinking about my how much I should bend my knees I started um, trying to figure out how how but the arc of the ball should be like. I started thinking so much to try to get myself out of that, and I end up and end up getting down, making one three pointer. And I remember like a couple of days later, I'm back in school. The coach is like, I see him in the hallway, and he's and he's like, Hey, how's it going, Ofer? I was like, What? What would he say? How'd it go? Over? He's like, Yeah, Ofer, right? And so for like a couple of weeks. He called me Ofer, and for some people, that would just, like, light him up. Like, I'm going to show you, right? I'm going to show you. I'm going to get amazing. I'm going to prepare. No one's going to call me Ofer again. But that humility and not having enough arrogance cost me confidence at that point. I don't know if it led to any, like, drastic effects or anything, but, like, it was in my mind a couple other games. Like, man, I I don't want to go for. Oh for th- oh, for whatever again, from three point arc, I needed the arrogance. I needed more of that. I needed this book.
1: I appreciate it. I look, and to give people context, Adam was by far the best shooter on that team. It's not even a question. Uh, and I'm, no one on that team would would argue with what I'm saying. That's just truth. Adam could shoot the hell out of the ball. And you know, I, I think about the the language that people have and what they give to us and when we hear it and when it sticks and the impact it has. And um, that's one of the reasons why we have to develop mechanisms internally to overcome whatever our environment or the external situation is. Cause we're always going to have somebody who says the wrong thing at the wrong time and it stings and it sticks. Um, and there's emotion attached to that. And there's, fear and embarrassment and shame and all kinds of stuff. But if we can get a hold of our internal dialogue, we can create another narrative and another story. And that is super, super powerful. And uh, you know, I talk about James Harden in the book, and he's in a playoff game and he's over, I forget, like twelve or fourteen. And uh he just keeps playing. And then in the fourth quarter he like turns it on, and he ends the game and uh afterwards he is getting interviewed and the sideline reporters like, "Hey, did, what were you thinking when you were over 14? And he goes, "I was over fourteen. He didn't even know." He's like, "Really?" And she's like, "You didn't know." He's like, "No." He's like, "I don't focus on that." And then Chris Paul, who played with him, came behind him and said, "Yeah, we don't think about that. Like that's why we put the work in in preparation. Like that's that's what he does. This is this he he gets buckets." And uh, so, yeah, I think I think it's a it's an important message for us all to think about as well as we're parents or we're leaders or, you know, we are in different situations is like, what are we feeding the people around us as well? Like, how are we feeding them? And, um, you know, that coach might have just been joking or might have been trying to motivate you, but. Like look at, look at how now you're thinking more in a game when I think a great coach would pull you aside and say, you're the best shooter on our team. You keep shooting the ball. Um, if you're not shooting the ball, Adam, you're not helping us. And part of being a great shooter is learning how to keep shooting even when the ball's not going in. Um, and it was a massive learning opp- opportunity for you as a, as a player. Uh, so I, I, I think that's huge. And look, like, I think, executing which is what performance is about is it does require you to get more into your body than your mind i think instinct as opposed to analysis is a good example of that like you're not gonna you're not gonna analyze your way out of a an issue when you're performing you need to work you need to use instinct and find your way but like thinking your way out is Uh, that's it's really really hard yeah
0: look you're you're bringing up some major points and one was like what was his intention as a coach right coaches his intention was probably great like hey what can we do to get this guy better now the impact on me i think was just the opposite way at a a negative impact um even though his intention might have been absolutely pure um and i just think as coaches and players like you said you know, how can you become more mindful of what it is, how it is that you want to perform better? As coaches, your job is going to be totally different. how can I maximize this guy's performance? Leaders, too, right? It's, I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about any coach or leader in, a, in any profession as well. Um, how can you? So, really, a question might be is like, how as a leader can you uncover um, and have conversations to, to figure out what's going to unlock someone's potential?
1: Yeah. And the part of whether that was a good thing or a bad thing for him to say, I don't know because I don't know his relationship with you. And I think any type of leadership starts with relationship and like trust and respect and love. Like these are, it's the same with any relate. it's like any human experience. If you don't have trust, respect, love, communication, like these are foundational in marriage or, you know, in a partnership in business or any of that. So I'm even hesitant to say because I don't know what his relationship is with you. And each person responds differently. So if you start with the relationship, then you can figure out, all right, what does this person need? Um, And at the high school level, it's a little bit harder because the lack of awareness on most 16, 17, 18 year old kids, they don't necessarily know the answers. And I've worked with a lot of high school kids, but I think a great coach will figure out what does this person need? And then how do I help them get from where they are to where they want to go? And that's the same for anyone, a teacher, uh, a parent. I mean, we have kids. Like our job is to figure out how to nurture their nature. Like what what are their nature? What are their proclivities? And then how do we nurture that? Water it, help it grow and sprout. And like I've got two kids, you've got three. My kids are polar opposite. Like it's nuts. They are very, very different. And our job as parents is to figure out how can we nurture each of them to get to where they want to go and we have to experiment. We have to play, but we have to constantly remember that we love them and they have to know that we love them, that we're here because we have their best interest. Um, and I'm doing the best I can with that. I haven't mastered it. But I think that's the same in any relationship. It has to start with, I care about you deeply. And if, if you didn't know that from that person, that's going to land very differently um, and that if you knew like, God, this person loves me and just believes in me unconditionally. And he's saying over as a joke because, you know, he knows that that won't happen again. Right. It could be interpreted very differently.
0: Right. Totally. Yeah. I think just to highlight what you said, that's absolutely beautiful, by the way. And hey, what's the relationship you have? Have you built the trust? Have you built the psychological safety so that you could have the real conversation? Are you even aware of what this other person needs or not? On a big level, like with the Patriots or a big organization, I don't know how that's even, like there, there is none of that. And yet it still could work, but you're right. There might have to be a certain development of emotional intelligence, things that you preach. In our world, we,
1: we talk about transactional leadership and trans, transformational leadership. And there is a difference. And there are plenty of great organizations that are more transactional. Go do your job. Okay. Just do your job. Make sure it's right. Show up, do your job, and then leave. That's not my way. My way is more transformational. I I love helping people transform, and uh, like I love cultivating relationships with people where they know I've got their back unconditionally. There is nothing that you're going to ask today or say that's going to cause me to not be friends with you anymore. It, it, it just there isn't. There isn't. Now you could act and do something in the future, behavior wise, that can cause that that bridge to get burned, but. For me, most of my close friends, and uh, I'm going to just stick to friends rather than family, but most of my close friends, there's really not much they can say because I know that they love me. Um, so if they say something that rubs me the wrong way, and of course they do, I forgive because I know where their heart is and I know what they've that they've been there for me in the past and I know that they will be in the future. So I think that's just a microcosm of any relationship is like, if it's transactional, that's cool. That may work, but understand that there's a shelf life on that transaction. Um, and once that expires, it it, it can lead to a, a break. Whereas I think the transformational relationships are the ones that are more long lasting. So that's one of the reasons I step into that.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. In fact, that just sparked a thought, which was, um, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and this person had mentioned that they were in a corporate culture that was pretty toxic from the boss, the boss ahead to that. And this person, uh, got out of there to their, to their delight and they were like a little bit wary on, on to get a new new position. And the first thing they said to the hiring manager was, "Hey, look, um, I want to take this job, but is there a chance that I could get canned in a couple months? This was going on with COVID going on. Uh, can you give me any assurances that this is going to happen?" Basically, what happened was they went through this traumatic experience. They lost all trust for their boss, the boss ahead of that, the relationship. And they're like mind is searching for ways on all right, well, how do I know I could get into a situation where I could have that trust reestablished? Um, is there what assurances could you provide me? So um, I what you're sharing uh, made me think of is, man, we all we are is just going off our past and our past experiences. like sometimes we get burned, and how do we like shift from that, let it go, and have a strong enough mindset to be like, hey, I'm going to go in with whatever intentions I want to go into.
1: When you say toxic, when I bring up arrogance, a lot of people are triggered by that word because they've been in environments where they had to work for an arrogant boss and the toxicity that came with that. And what I often say to that is, was that person's uh, issue that they were arrogant in performance or was their issue that they weren't humble enough in preparation? And I think the issue often occurs that they don't have both. And you even said it's verses. And I I made a distinction in the book to say that these are ands, these aren't verses. And so too often we say you're either a humble versus versus arrogant. And I'm like, no, we all have an inner humility and an inner arrogance. Anyone says that they don't have that inside of them somewhere, I would call bullshit on. And so to me, it's it's being aware of when we need to use them and getting clarity around how to use each and how they feed each other. So if I truly humbly prepare and I've done everything I need to do then I've earned the right that when I'm making a tough decision, I can be a little arrogant with it. I was just watching a a video of Steve jobs and you know, he did things that changed the world and often was called arrogant. And yet if you study him, you'll also see there's this humble preparation. There's collaboration that he would use. Um, and so, look at any president, not just the current sitting president and show me that they don't have a little bit of arrogance in them. I think the issue is when they don't humbly prepare. And um, so I I think it's important to note with the book and with this framework, which I use with pretty much all my clients, is that if used properly, that preparation mind will actually help you with your performance mind and you have to practice your performance mind. So um, it's important that you step into these things in the performance mind because a lot of times our work, it's a lot of preparation. Um, even like for you as a dentist, you're doing surgery. I'm sure there's, I don't know what percentage of your day are you actually doing the surgery versus preparing and looking over and observing and noticing. Do you, what, how does that work for you?
0: I think it's a flow thing, right? You go through um, practice when you're in school. I know in the beginning when I just started, and you know what? Even towards the end, sometimes on more difficult procedures, there would be a visualization process. For me, that was helpful. Like, hey, I'm going to spend a minute or two before I jump into surgery actually like going down the steps and imagining what it would be like. That's probably when I performed at my best. Um, but the more and more, like every, every performance is practice in that case. Right. Cause then it, you're kind of just building up reps towards the competence. You know, can I share our story with you? Yeah. I, I would, I'd love to, you know, when I'm reading your book again, other it's stories, your podcast, you can do whatever no, we you gotta, want. You don't have we to ask me for this. permission. So this is another, so this is where the humility comes out right here. Okay. And it, for some reason, or it's all the themes are are around basketball so I'm gonna take us back to 2000 and either two or three. I don't. I don't really remember. We're um, coaching against each other at in Color War Camp Saginaw basketball. I
1: beat them. Okay, beat well, come. On. Wait a minute here. There's <laughs> arrogance, right?
0: That's what I'm talking about. You gotta love it, and it's also true. So this is the biggest game of the year in in the sport. We're coaching our team. And was good. Like I felt my team was good enough to win. They, were, I know they were good enough to win.
1: They were better. You had a better team,
0: but you had the best player.
1: I had the best player.
0: You had the best player, and I didn't remember much about the game, but I remember two things vividly. All right, the first thing is when we're before we get on the court for the very first time, I look at my team, and I knew who our best defender was. I was like, "You're going to guard that guy," and he was like, "Okay," like really quiet about it. So the start of the game, first quarter, first half, I don't remember if it was halves or quarters we were playing at that point. This guy is freaking torching us, man. You guys come out. The guy is killing us. I call timeout. I was like, listen, we're going to switch it up. Who here is going to guard this guy? He's the only one scoring. I'm furious. Um, I'm probably wearing cargo khakis and a big, huge shirt at the time. Everything's kind of fitting real big. And, which, by the way, Adam was a skinny guy.
1: Adam was trying to put weight on. I'd always be drinking protein shakes. Uh, he could, but but that's a good look at him now. He's he's still like, you know, as you age, that those those genes pay off. I'm anyway. doing
0: I'm doing two Chipotle burritos. I'm doing bringing plates to my friend's house at night. I'm just notorious for all that stuff. So yeah, the food it just would not matter at the time. That's not the case anymore. Uh, dad bod uh, hashtag Dad bod. What up? So. <laughs> so I called him out. I'm looking in these guys' eyes. I'm like, who here is going to guard this guy? And I am, Brian, I'm ready to jump on the court. Like, n- nobody is saying anything, anything. It's crickets. They're, like, terrified. And you know who finally stepped up to guard him?
1: My brother, probably. How'd you know? Yeah. I was Just a guess.
0: Yeah, he finally was like, dude, I'll guard him. He wasn't the best defender, but he was the only fucking one who said anything about it. To gu- and we, lo- we end up losing the game, but these guys were terrified. What could the I plan?
1: D- the plan for the game was to end up getting my younger brother Michael to guard Ben Lesson. And then I knew we had you. No, I'm joking. Well, let me, let me rewind the tape a little bit. So, first of all, we've never talked about this. I don't, I don't remember debriefing this with you ever. Th- this, honestly, so there's two things to know. Let's back up two years before that when we're playing on the same team. We were playing in the game
0: versus coaching. Playing versus we're coaching. Playing. Yeah.
1: And, uh, Adam and I are on the same team and I had my best performance ever, like my best basketball performance. I, I was just on fire and playing out of my mind.
0: Dude, you were pulling up from way behind the three point. I was like
1: Steph Curry before Steph Curry. Like I was feeling it. And like, I was in the zone talking trash. Like when I'm at my best, there's like a, a little fire that's there too. And so we win the game. And this is Adam Esco in a nutshell. We get co MVPs for, for that game. Like I had to share it with Adam because Adam just did what he always did. He was the best player on the on the floor. And and then Adam goes on to get the MVP of softball, the MVP of hockey, which what, hockey wasn't even his sport. He, he got he got the MVP of every single like game that we had. So anyway, I am giving that some context to Adam to say now we're coaching. And I remember practicing. So they had a great team. He had a better all-around team, and I had a better player. There, That that would be the best scenario. So he had a bunch of good shooters on his team. And so I remember bringing our guys together at practice and saying, we're going to play a 3-2 zone. We're going to play a 3-2 zone. They are not going to shoot any threes. And and you got to remember, analytics, like shooting threes, like that's not... That wasn't a thing like it is today where everyone shooting threes like back then, you know, they'd shoot them, but it wasn't like what it is today. We're gonna play a 3-2 zone, which if you follow basketball, like a 3-2 zone historically, when we were going up was like a lame defense because you leave the middle open. uh, You can get layups. You can get rebounded against. But I knew, A, we had to contest those threes. And then, B, I... I knew we had some big guys that I thought could help rebound. So we had a couple of kids who were really good athletes, but they weren't good basketball players. And I was like, the two of you, your job is just to rebound. So that's one, two, in those games, you had to play certain players, a minimum of a certain amount of minutes. So you had to play your bench and I had gotten these kids so entrenched on what their job was. Talk about transactional. Like, They knew their role was just to go grab rebounds. And I said to them, I was like, look, we're going to score because we've got this best player. I need you to do all the other stuff. And so I think our guys had such great role clarity. And on defense, I need you to rebound. Uh, Like There's one kid who was a good hockey player. And I remember he was a bigger guy and he couldn't play basketball. And I'm like, I just need you to rebound and get the ball to this kid. And then that kid, I basically said to him, talk about arrogant. I was like, you're going to go off tonight. You're going to have the ball in your hands. And then our offense was predicated on him dribbling, penetrating and either getting to the hoop or or passing it. And so I created this whole system around that player because I knew if it was going to be like, even we were going to be screwed. So like the two big things from a strategic standpoint where we were going to play zone um, and we were going to play a specific zone to limit threes. And then I was like, and we grew up playing man to man. So Adam and I both, Like every, we, we grew up, our, our coaches were fans of Gary Williams who presses and plays man to man. And so I think I even knew, I'm like, Adam's going to think we're playing man to man. We're going to play a three, two zone. I'm not even sure they're going to know what zone we're in, but this is what we're doing. And I got to tell you, Adam, that, that, that game that you brought up,
0: I am struggling to hear this.
1: This then led me like, I became really interested in coaching. Because in that game, I realized that I was like, holy crap. Like, I can create a game plan and a strategy. And then I saw it executed. And it got me so excited to see that. Like, I was like, wow, I can actually, almost like chess, like put the pieces in place and then see it come, come to fruition. And so I ended up coaching your cousin. Um, so I coached with your uncle, uh, I, I, and I, with, with, uh, uncle rich, we coached together for your, your cousin, Rob, and I coached his team for like one year with your uncle and then your uncle stopped. And then I kept coaching. So I coached these kids when I was probably in 10th grade or 11th grade, 11th grade. And they were in eighth grade. Uh, I coached basketball and you know, I think, um, during that time of my life, if you ask me, like, what are you going to do? I might have gone to become a basketball coach. Like, I loved it. I coached roller hockey at the time. So, it's a big part of my my, my sort of journey. And I made a decision at, at some point that I didn't want to just be on the basketball side. So, I thought about becoming a scout. I was obsessed with that uh, at a certain point in my life. And when I found sports psychology, it was a blessing because at the end of the day, I just love helping people. Uh, and I thought psychology would give me the opportunity to do that. And sports is something that I've understood pretty damn well from a young age, more so than a, a lot of other things in my life. So I'm glad you brought that game up because I can remember our practice. I can remember teaching them a 3-2 zone, which I'd never even like ran before, and we had to create it. And then I remember we created this offense where I think we spread out our other four people and let our, our main player bring the ball up because he was good enough to play point guard. He was just far better than everybody else bring up the ball, and then everyone else is going to spread it out. And I told everyone, I'm like, he's going to score. Like, don't be bitter, but we're going we're gonna to win. And I, I uh, so anyway, that, that was a, uh, my crown, one of my crowning achievements. It, that it's,
0: it's amazing to hear that some of the backstory here and how much, you know, went into that because we both know uh, there's, and there's not much behind this. I'm trying to figure out if there's going to be a bitter taste as I say these words, but there's not. We both know I got outcoached. I, I'm saying it for myself. You outcoached me that game. Um, you mentioned that before. I've heard you say that, and it was the absolute truth. I got out coached. Uh, we had a good team enough to win. You came in. It looked like I didn't know you had prepared. You know your big guys to be role players, and then everyone kind of you adopted your philosophy, and you really led them. And um, it was it was a it was a show, man. You 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 kind of put on that leadership hat, and it freaking worked.
1: No, I mean, i don't have much else to say that's <laughs> nice like we he says this and like I look at our our sports careers, and once again adam very good high school basketball player, and it was tough for me in high school, like I had attached a lot of my identity growing up- with, along with you, like playing sports and being pretty good at it, and I was until um high school, and uh you know it it's people ask me about my high school experience, I was like, it's okay, like that's fine, but I never felt like I had anything to hold my hat onto in high school from an identity standpoint. Um, so it, it, you know, for us going away to camp was the time when I really felt like I could tap into something a little special. And I think being special is something that we should give to every person. Like every one of us has special gifts inside of us and a genius inside of us. And there are times in my life where I didn't feel that way. Um, you know, and, um, or maybe I felt that way, but I wasn't getting that feedback from, from the outside world. And so I look, I, I encourage everybody to just find what those gifts are and and attack them pretty relentlessly.
0: It's beautiful, man. Look, I'm mindful of where we're at in this conversation. Uh, this has been flying by. I, I'm going to do some full disclosure here. I'm about 65% of the way through your book. I got it maybe a week ago or something. I read a handful, maybe two handfuls of books a year. I, I listen to books. So I am, this one, I am just so drawn to. There's so much good story and take homes that I'm going to be able to use over and over and over again. This is something that I could pick up at any point and just like read and be like, wow, like this is something I could use today. Um, so I want to, um, I want to say that because it's a hundred percent true. I don't like to actually, I've done this before, um, share something that I really enjoy in general until I'm hundred percent finished. But this one's an, this one's a no brainer, uh, Brian. You freaking smashed this book. It's so good. Um, where can people find it? when what's the, when's the release date when's it coming on audiobook i want to get the audiobook i'm getting the audiobook obviously but i'm just like when can i freaking get it
1: <laughs> so first of all thank you uh, you're one of the first people that have read it and uh you know you, you texted me and just said that you were enjoying it and uh you know i talk about it, thank you i talk about intrinsic motivation and extrinsic a lot and intrinsic like you do things for your own fulfillment and extrinsic for their money or others um, sort sort of for, for praise or whatever it may be externally to hear that it, it does, it, it warms my heart and uh, it makes me feel really good. So um, I, I think that a lot of us, a lot of high performers, if they can be a 10 out of 10 intrinsically and a nine out of 10 extrinsically, it's pretty, a good, re- pretty good recipe. So it means a lot to hear someone enjoy the work that, that you put into it. And for me, I started writing a few other books along my journey and they never really went anywhere. And this book, once I started it, I could not stop. And everywhere I looked, I saw this framework for your mindset for preparation is different than your mindset for performance. And we have to practice both the preparation and performance mind. And so when you have something like that, that keeps hitting you over the head, you have to take action on it. And so, you know, I I poured a lot into that book. And so I think, like someone asked me recently, what would success be for the book? And honestly, that it would make people think like that would be successful, make people think about how they're showing up and when they're thinking and how they're thinking. And so to get that feedback from people is, is validating. Um, and I'm excited. I'm excited about that.
0: Everything that I'm feeling about the book and how it's, it's, it's kind of making me think exactly what you said has nothing to do with sports, right? Like I, sports to me, like I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to try to beat my son as long as I can in basketball. And he's already, we have a better golf swing than me, which is awesome. My five-year-old son, which I'm pumped about. But I the way I'm reading it is through the ideas, of, okay, how can I prepare better for anything, right? We're on a podcast right now. How could I get my mindset stronger when we're actually together or giving a speech where I'll do in the future? Like it is so... It could be used evergreen, right? These concepts are going to be able to use over and over and over again for so many different industries.
1: You know, I'm, it warms my heart to hear you say that. My publisher—talk uh, about like imposter syndrome or whatever. There's my publisher, and then there's two people from the publishing side that helped me with the book. And I said to them a few weeks ago, "I'm like, is this book good?" Like. What'd you guys think? Like, Brian, yeah, it's awesome. Why do you think we want to work with you? And one of them said to me, she had, she was studying for a test and she like was doing all this work, doing all this work. And then it was time for test day. And she's like, I need to shift my mind. I need to get out of my work mind and get into play. I need to get out of humble and get into arrogant. You know, I need to stop focusing on the future and get into the present. I need to stop experimenting and just sort of trust my process. I need to, you know, stop worrying about being uncomfortable and get myself comfortable. So, and those are some of the shifts for those of you that are unfamiliar with the book. And there's there's nine that we focus on. And so I say all that to say, like, if this book was just for sports, I don't think it would be very fulfilling for me. Of course, I love working with athletes. I love helping athletes and I love sports, but my goal is that this helps people in a lot of different walks of life. Um, and get them thinking about how they're a performer when they're performing and the value of, of stepping into this performance mind that we call it. So, uh, you know, it's cool to hear you say that. Um, I've had a few others that have read it and have said the same thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope it it reaches people far beyond sports and, and in sports as well. I mean, look, my background is, I've spent like a decade working with athletes. So there's definitely a lot of sports stories and analogies, but we wanted to make sure that those are sort of enhancing the book, but not the pure focus of the book.
0: You know what? I got to ask one more question. This is like, this is- this I'm is... good.
1: You can ask. You can ask it a minute. Yeah, I'm so, good.
0: All right. You- this is, a, this is a broader conversation here. When you're so tied to something, when you've put your heart into something like you have for this book, let's just say you're going through the process. How, how is it that you could ask a question like, hey, is this good? Or you're working with your editor and you're looking for feedback where you could then remove yourself from the feedback you're getting and be and not tie yourself to what they say and have that mean anything about you cuz the tendency is the more attached you get to something the more you identify with something like you are to your framework and to the book and the words that you're putting on paper that you're going to want to then you're going to be if you're not mindful of it kind of considering the feedback you're getting and you could be like dude get the I don't want to hear this right now right and like you talked about that when you were growing up right with writing papers how did that happen with this book. Yeah. All right. So a
1: couple of things there. I love that. First of all, you have to surround yourself with experts. And uh, so I, for this book surrounded myself, I did not want to do the self-publishing route because I wanted to write a great book. I did not want to write a good book. Um, And I thought if I went at it alone, I could maybe write a mediocre book. That's the truth. I thought if I go at this alone, I could write a mediocre book. If I get some awesome experts that can help me. So what do I mean by experts? I hired a coach, a writing coach, Larry Bishop. She's awesome. Asked. great questions. I would bounce ideas off of her, she'd help me tease it out. Um just she's she's amazing. And then my publisher, Chris Pauls, like she also really really helpful. And so those are the people I wanted feedback from. I didn't want feedback from other people until it's done. And even now, like if someone doesn't like the book, which by the way, there has to be, like if this book has any level of readership there's going to be people that are like this is stupid this is wrong this is silly like it's it, there's no way around it like that's that has to happen i'm going to be okay with it and by the way i kind of hope that there's some people that feel that way like i like i'm a contrarian by nature why wouldn't i want others to be like contrarian toward the book i'm good with that
0: <laughs> the book's uh, polarities think, right so like Yeah. Everyone's going to be where they are on that opinion or otherwise, but yeah. So,
1: so it's fine. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I won't take it personally because I care and I do want people to like it. I absolutely do. But here's my, my thought. Number one, I got feedback for people from people on the title, for example, like I would send out and be like, what do you think about this title and that title? Like that's something I really wanted to hear how it's landing with a variety of people And that's something that I think I had blind spots towards because I was so in it. So I thought that was really a valuable use of feedback. And those are the potential consumers. So let's find out what works for them. The cover. Hey, what do you think about this cover? What do you think about that cover? I wanted feedback. Um, And so it was really important to to get that feedback from people that were not quote-unquote experts because those are the consumers. As far as getting feedback, I was awful at it as a kid. Like, it was absolutely a weakness. I told that story about you know, not listening to getting stronger and just like being F you, I'll show you. That was always like when someone would say I couldn't do something, I was always like, I'll show you. And that can get you pretty far. I mean, there's it's not all bad. The problem with it is it's limiting because it doesn't allow you to grow and develop. And so you can fight, 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 but if you're not growing and developing, you're just sort of beating your head against a wall. And so-
0: And you talked about I that, that with, a, with the papers too, specifically with writing in the past
1: yeah, like, I need people to edit. <laughs> like, I need them to proofread. I need them to, you know, if I'm saying a sentence a certain way, be able to say, hey, this might be a better way to say that. And I did, and I leveraged that. And I wanted to make sure it's my words and my voice and my vocabulary. And so I think for people that know me, they're going to read it, and they're going to be like, yeah, this is, this is Brian. So anyway, that's the the push and pull of it. I recently had a a moment where I realized I had grown tremendously as it related to feedback. And what happened was a few years ago I applied to the Georgetown program which you're in right now for executive coaching. And I got rejected. And when I wrote the essay for that program, at the time I was working with two professional sports teams, three Division 1 athletic programs. I had just given a keynote here, a keynote there. Like, I was like, man, my business is, it's, it's humming. And so I wrote this essay that was all about how great I am. And I didn't, I got rejected. I found out that the program at that time accepted a quarter of their applicants. Oh, hold on. So I got rejected. Let me back up. I get rejected on the day of my birthday. And we're out to dinner in DC at a steakhouse. And I look at my email right before we're about to go in the restaurant. I see you you are not accepted. You are rejected. And I've gotten cut and rejected from stuff a lot in my life. Like I, I, I wanted to do teach for America out of college. I didn't get into that. I talked about my sports career. Didn't get into that. Um, job wise. Like I was not someone right out the gates who's just been like nothing but success. Like people have said no to me a lot. Um, and usually throughout those times, I'd be like, I'll show you. You'll regret it. <laughs> and, like, I, I would have a little fire. Like, You tell me Ofer, I would have probably told that guy to go F himself. Yeah, it would have worked for you. you, for sure. I, I probably would have been able to. I think. Maybe not. Because there's other stuff that sticks with me. No, I probably would have said F you. I'll show you. That, that probably would be my approach to that. This time was different. So I get rejected. My wife and my parents, who I'm out to dinner with, say, they're lost, like, You know, how unfortunate for them that they're not going to get the presence of your greatness. And I'm like, okay, I guess. And the next morning, I wake up and I'm like, no, that's not good enough for me. So I call the school and say, hey, I'd love to get some feedback. They're like, sorry, we don't give any feedback. But we only accept 25% of our applicants. We recommend you reapply. And I was like, okay, cool. I then went on to the website and looked at all the teachers and professors. And I noticed the last name of one of the professors. And he shared a last name with someone who we went to camp with. And so I email him, assuming that he's probably related. Um, I then contact the person that started the school and the head of the school. And I just start reaching out to people and say, hey, here's what happened. I'd love to learn more about the program. And by the time I was done with that process, I realized, yes, I want to do this program. No, my essay doesn't need to be about all my successes. Instead, it needs to be about all the ways I need to grow and learn. And I had somebody who was on the admission committee that had had coffee with me. I had a recommendation from a a faculty member. Like I had, I had basically taken all the information. And then when I reapplied, I said, if I don't get in this time, I'll go do a different program and it's all good. But I listened, got feedback and then used probably my fire and my competitive spirit to to go find a way to, to get into the program.
0: Okay. This is huge. We got to stop here for a second. All right. So you're, you get the message, you're sitting down with your wife, your mom, they're sharing your message. You're like, whatever. But then you said you wake up the next day and you're like, it's not good enough for me. So, so what I'm curious about is what made you actually move forward and try to seek out feedback? Was it, Hey, I really want to go here or like, something's just not sitting right with me. Like what was the feeling like where actually made you just start taking like really massive action?
1: It's probably twofold. One is like probably some competitiveness. Like I don't like when someone says I can't do something. Um, but I think it was more than that. I think it was, let me learn. Let me learn more about the program. I didn't do my humble preparation when I applied. Um, I was like, I'll apply, throw my head in the ring. They'll probably accept me. Look at all this resume I've got. You know, Let's go. Should be good enough. And I look look at, at, I did not go into my preparation mind beforehand. And I probably wrote a crappy essay and I probably half-assed the application process and I probably deserved to not get accepted. And oh, by the way, that experience helped me drastically, once I did get in, my appreciation for it, the way I approached it was much more with the growth mindset, much more with like, I don't know anything. I, I need to learn and grow and develop. Whereas I think if I had gotten in right away, I would have been like, yeah, I'm already doing a lot of this. Here's what I know. Here's what I do. So, look, I think I'm not one of those failures or essential in life people, uh, but I think that they do present an opportunity to grow and learn if you're willing to step into it. And so you said at the beginning of this conversation, like I've been willing to go toward fires in my life. Um, I think that in the past, the previous me, the version of me that we grew up with, I would have just said F you and then maybe reapplied again or, or gone to do a different program. And um, this version of me, I think was much more interested in learning and growing. What happened? Tell me about it. Tell me more about the program. Let's make sure that this is the right program for me. Let's make sure it's aligned with what I want. And uh, so that's just an example. And I have, I take that approach much more now is when something doesn't work out, I try to go back, get feedback from people I trust from experts. There's a lot of people that are not in the arena that, are willing to give advice or expertise and they've never been in the arena and they're really good at playing Monday morning quarterback. And they're really good at saying all the things you should do. I want advice or I want expertise or feedback from people that are in it. And uh, so that's why it's, it's important or have done it. Like that's why it's important to be conscientious of who you surround yourself with and who you get feedback from and who who you seek advice from and I've got advice from some people that was bad advice, and they're well-intended, and they don't always know. And I find with me, I'm someone who is, I'm an idea person, so I'm always coming up with ideas. And one of the things I realize is that there are people that, when you come up with an idea, will tell you all the reasons why it won't work. Uh, I think that's mo- most people, and what I find is that's almost never helpful for me. What it is helpful is, hey, give me some ideas for how this will work. And, I, like, that is really helpful. Um, and I think a lot of people live in a narrow world of possibilities, and they can only see, like, one path – and the way I operate is in multiple paths. And I think my job as a coach is to help people see multiple paths. And I think there's always multiple paths. And oftentimes we get stuck and think that there's only one.
0: That's come up in your language in this interview a few times because you've mentioned the word and in your sentences and opening up possibilities. And you've talked about how your book is not versus. It's, it's, a, it's a stream, right? There's a, a line and it just is a, it's a spectrum. the polarities that you use so you're living that
1: you know this about me like i'm obsessed with this concept of polarity and the value and how often we make decisions because we think that there's only one option and there's always another option and (laughs) there it is like once i start to step into that i am better equipped that when i do make the decision i know that i've i've looked underneath the rock and, and sort of looked around and seen what's what's there
0: so you know what and just, just to interject, because I think this could be a, a thing of massive value to people. Right. You have this idea. Let's say it's something new, you don't have a strong belief around it yet, right? You're you're trying something new. You're you're making you're writing your first book and you're getting advice from people. I'm just trying to say what someone else could be thinking. You're going through something, you don't have the belief or confidence around it, and you're getting unsolicited advice. My question is, so I know I I've got my ideas on things that people could put a boundary to how are you Brian putting boundaries to people that give you advice and you're like, dude, I'm just not available for this. Like what, what are you taking it? Are you saying, Hey, I'm going to stop you right there. Like, what do you do? Does it depend on the person you're talking to?
1: This is where I'm not the greatest. Uh, I I think of golf as a good example. People that play with me, know do not give me any motherfucking advice. Like, I, and, and some have seen the wrath of if they do. And the reason for that is
0: I love, by the way, I love golf advice for my swing. I'm like, if you see something, freaking tell me.
1: Yeah. I don't want any of it. And the reason for that is a, they're not an expert. And like, I play with some really good golfers, but they have no clue how to teach golf like that. Just cause you can hit a ball doesn't mean you know how to teach it. And and then B, for me, when I'm performing, I don't want you to critique my swing. I want to f- figure it out and find a way. Or if I do want your advice, I'll say, hey, what do you notice there? Because now I'm asking and now I can be ready to receive it. And so the way I, I, I'm, I need to be better at this, but I have snapped at people on the golf course because you know me, when I'm playing bad, it's it's really bad and ugly. Like, I don't need you to then, you know, jump in and, and give me something there. And uh, so that, that's like golf-wise. I think ideally.
0: Or, or if you are going to, right? You said this before, but like ask for permission, right? People don't ask for permission. They don't know. Hey, do you want to hear something? No. Okay, great. Perfect. Oh, sure. What do you see? Right? So ask as an advice giver. Don't just lead with advice. Just ask, does, you, does this person want my advice? We're talking about golf. This is universal.
1: Like this is people are great adv- great advice givers and if the person's not ready to receive it, I don't care if it's the greatest wisdom in the world, they ain't receiving it. And so I uh yeah, I you could probably hear me get emotional with this and that's that's p- probably how I get. That's like I have that in me. Um so I usually will tell people to F off. Um and that's not always the best case because there might be another time where I do need their advice and I do want it. Um, I find for me, I'm somebody who let's move on from golf. I've learned about myself is when I have an idea, I can see it. Like I can go there. I can the book, like I could see the book being out there. And then like, once I envision that I, I'm going to be pretty gritty to make it come to fruition. And I'm pretty aware and cognizant of when people are getting in the way of me getting there or are helping me getting there. And by the way, helping me get there is huge. Like I think we could talk about self-awareness. I mean, it's, it, I have a ton of weaknesses. Um, and interestingly enough, I think some of your strengths complement my weaknesses uh, as, as I think about, us growing up a couple of houses away from each other being around each other all the time and so i think it's really important that i have the vision and then be willing to adapt or adjust that vision based on feedback i'm getting based on insight wisdom and i will seek out i will seek that out from the people that i think will really add value to the vision but i am a i am somebody who, like when i have an idea i can see it and uh and that happens pretty regularly. And it, the, the hard thing for me is to make sure that it's not just noise and that I'm actually then focused on the things that I want to come to fruition because there can be a lot of noise that can get in the way of getting to the, to the end game.
0: It's funny to hear you share that because I, I've known that you're a, uh, someone that has visions, that has big ideas. I remember you once talking about a journal of ideas and I was like, he must have a freaking thousand ideas. And the way I see – and so what you were talking about is, hey, I have a vision. I'm going to be gritty in in order to get it. If I want your advice, if I feel like you're worthy of it, if it's going to help me get there, I'm going to ask for it. And I come from a standpoint of adding that when someone's starting with something new and they haven't yet developed the the real belief around that they could do it, that inner confidence, like the knowingness that they could accomplish it – a new venture, and they take on one of the naysayers that you're talking about. Someone that's going to say all the reasons why you can't do it. They're going to they're going to take five steps backwards, and just it's just going to crush their momentum. So I always say um, that it's really important to really guard that initial new belief you're trying to set because if you don't, you're screwed. If you don't, you're taking steps back. You know what's interesting about
1: that? So I am I'm pretty like open about ventures when I'm like, for example, I'm writing a book. All right. I tell everyone, I'm like, yep, yeah, writing a book. Um, and I think part of the reason I do that is because I kind of want to be held accountable to it. Like I want the world to say, all right, when's the book coming out? And and I I think the people I this is this is interesting. When people do say or give me the feedback on what, what, what doesn't work or why not, it, it very rarely shakes me when it shakes It doesn't shake my belief in the thing. Uh, and then sometimes it can actually cause me to have more conviction. There is an I'll show you. There is a watch this that, that I have underneath me that like, no, I have this idea. It's a good idea. No, I think that's a bad idea. And here's all the reasons why okay, well, here's why I think it's a good idea, right? Like, so there's some of that. I, I, I don't think I take five steps back. I think I probably dig my feet in, um, which isn't that, it's not always helpful either, but
0: um, it kind of alludes to what we were talking about before, right? I can fight. Like I can, I can, I can fight. The personality, like, uh, the fire that you have, that inner arrogance, I'm, I'm going to call it that in a positive way, that inner confidence. We could say it like that. Past no, that. No, arrogance. Inner arrogance. Going to move towards the I show you. And that, does, that serves you sometimes, and it doesn't serve you sometimes. It didn't serve you when you were a teenager and trying to write a letter, uh, a paper on your own. But look, like, Stephen
1: Curry got feedback when he was coming out of high school that said that he wasn't good enough. So, like, Stephen Curry wanted to play at Virginia Tech, which his dad was a legend at. And they said, we've got a walk-on position for you if you want it. And he said, no, I'll go to Davidson. They're offering me a scholarship. And that was it. And, you know, he he had to have this inner belief in himself. And then you think about, like, the way he plays. First of all, teams passed up on him on the draft. And then second of all, the way he plays in the NBA, like, the idea that you get across half court and you believe you're in three-point range, up until Steph Curry was not a thing. And, like, he transformed the game because of that. And the evidence would say you shouldn't do that. Or there's probably coaches. that would say, that's not a good shot. That's a bad shot. And I think if you want to change the world, you're going to have to step into, you know, doing things if you doing things that have never been done before, require you to fight, like to, to have conviction. And the, the, the issue is when your conviction gets in the way of your curiosity. And when your conviction gets in the way of your curiosity, you don't set yourself up to learn and grow. So that's one thing that I've been trying to work on for myself is like I can have conviction on something. I don't think I'm always at my best when I'm in a conversation with someone and I just have conviction because I don't get to learn. Although I do learn from talking out loud. Um, But the curiosity piece is where I often learn a ton. And so I try to learn how do I stay curious and have conviction because I do want to stand on some grounds, and I want to have conviction that I can do something, and not be swayed because someone says X, Y, or Z.
0: Dude, this is—we uh, have to talk about this because this is such a massive growth edge that you've leaned into, and like you're just experience—you get to experience all the results from it. Your conviction has always been so strong growing up, but it was, dude. I'm fucking right, and you're wrong right now. And I'm gonna prove all my points to where you're wrong and I'm right. Very
1: argumentative. Very, Very argumentative. argumentative.
0: You didn't want to lose a You didn't want to lose at anything, right? You were competitive. Um, and now, somewhere along the line, you've made this massive growth edge shift where you are like, I don't need to lose that. And I also want to stay curious because there's so much more I don't know. And so somehow you've somehow I'm kind of curious about this. You've said to yourself, your mind that, hey, like, it's OK. I don't have to be right because there's more to learn here. But that's so freaking hard to do at a primal level. That's that's basically telling telling your safety mind to like it's OK. Like, how did how did you develop that?
1: We have primary thoughts and primary feelings. Then we have secondary thoughts and secondary feelings, and so I've come to realize that my primary thought and feeling is to fight. My primary thought and feeling is to disagree. We could go into therapy and find out why that is. Um, I think it had a lot to do with growing up with two brothers and being in a competitive household. And you know, our dinner tables—if you you better bring it. Like if you wanted to, you want to have a voice. Yeah. So there's some work that I've done on that front to try to figure that out so like all right well what do i do with that primary thought or that primary feeling i create a relationship with it and it doesn't mean that i don't have it i still have it it's just that i learn how to turn the volume down and i learn how to shift into a different space that is much better for where i want to go and so like there's a phrase of you know are you a know-it-all or a learn-it-all And like, I've been focused and directing my attention to trying to learn it all. So what does that look like? That looks like me having a podcast where I ask a ton of questions. That looks like um, really working on active listening and falling in love with active listening and looking, trying to understand and observe and notice rather than, you know, uh, go toward judgment and evaluation. That looks like doing a newsletter. Uh, I, I did a message of the day once a day for... Eight years, and then I switched it to a message of the week, and it's still an evolving newsletter. But that made me curious. I had to always read articles and research and watch. I I find myself during COVID, like I'm watching documentaries. I'm curious to learn and grow. And so I think for me, and I, I haven't figured this out, but like I love the intersection of a novice and an expert. And I find that I have expertise, step into those when it's appropriate, and like be a novice. Just the other day, I admitted I was woefully wrong on something. Um, I can't even remember, but I just admitted it to someone. I was like, I was just flat out wrong on that. You know, I was flat out wrong on Stephen Curry. I didn't think he was going to be as good as he was going to be like,
0: like I, 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 I got to add one more observation to your list because, uh, you know, everyone's been for the longest time, uh, growing up with you drawn to your passion, drawn to your fire and the word that comes to mind is you are a natural leader. Right. If, and I kind of debug that sometimes. But you really were a natural leader. And being around you now, as you've grown your strong skills company and you're kind of building this, I've noticed how curious you've been in trying to get opinions from other people, um, on maybe blind spots that you had and you've been so open and vocal about it along the way. So as a leader, I just see you taking what you're doing internally and like, Hey, like how could I, how could we make this? Cause you something you feel really strongly about building this strong skilled brand and bring that impact to other people. And you're just living it.
1: It's uh, it's been fascinating because for a long time it was just me. So I could just rip and run, make mistakes, fall, screw up and and do that. Performance. I was performing And now I'm stepping into a space that's more of like a head coach or a leader or a CEO or whatever you want to call it. Knowing when to ask for help and be curious and be vulnerable and when to stick to your instinct and conviction and say, all right, we're going to go in this direction is really, really hard in leadership. Um, And so something I'm working on. But I, I think it's it's massive. I think the best leaders are super curious, collaborative. And then when it's time to make a decision, they say, this is what we're doing. I've taken in all the insight and feedback, and this is why we're doing it. And let's move forward. Because if you just are constantly staying curious and never having any conviction, you never get anywhere. And at some point, like being a leader is hard. And being a leader, it requires that arrogance because... You have to people want have to, to be, be led too. yeah, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and 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 do something, knowing that in likelihood it's it's actually not gonna work, and you have to have some fearlessness in there, and i I think once again it's it's easier to be mediocre and stay hidden and not put yourself out there. it just is, and a lot of us do that um in our life, and I don't even begrudge those that do that you do a good job though of saying like, man, Brian, you got more, you got, you got you, like, you're always in my ear. Like Brian, you got big things. You realize like what's going on. And I'm like, no, not really. Cause I don't spend a lot of time in that headspace, but I hear you on that. And it, it, it does, it makes me feel good. The last thing I'll say is I give a shout out in the book at the end of it. Um, when I'm acknowledging people to one of my college buddies, Matt Furman. And when my friends from college read the book, they're going to be like, Matt Furman, like what, what was it? And I remember I was the vice president of our fraternity and we had an issue with somebody and we had a meeting and I just basically told that person, like, you're no longer with us. Like, you're no longer part of this group. And it got, the, the person went away. Like, the problem went away. And I remember Matt coming up to me afterwards. He's like, Brian, I don't know what you're going to do when you leave here but you're going to do something big. And you, you mentioned the Ofer comment, those comments stick with you. And I have a similar high school. I can remember a high school experience where it's something stuck with me. Actually, I actually think I talk about it in the book that, that gift that Matt gave me when he gave it to me has stuck with me to this day. And there's an obligation and responsibility that I have to go do those things. And like, I don't think I've said it to Matt. I called him once and thanked him for it. And he didn't even remember saying it to me. Um, But You remember. So I think all of us as human beings have the ability to give energy or take it away from people. And we all should be thoughtful and intentional about the words that we're inserting into the people we care about and to strangers. Cause you never know when you're going to say something that's going to stay with someone. And look, I, I don't know if I don't think Matt saying that caused me to, write the book, and put it out there or not, but you know, it didn't hurt. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Thank you, man. That's beautiful. I think this is a good place to, to kind of get things wrapped up. Uh, You know, the, the, the shifts that are on this book are, are are really powerful. And I love how you said that, um, you know, you kind of make it what you want, right? The readers could take and figure out and play to your word, what's going to stick with them and how to use it. And maybe some stick more than others. So again, I just want to say, thank you. Thanks for being on here. And you know, what, what else, where else can people find you?
1: Yeah. And I made a intentional point to not call it the nine mental shifts that can help you thrive in preparation and performance. Cause I don't think there is a the, so these are nine, these are the nine we focused on for some of your craft. It might not resonate all nine of them, that's totally cool. Pick three, pick five, run with them or create your own. Like I'd even like it better if you created your own. So, um, yeah, the book you can get at strongskillsco slash book. Uh, and I'm also offering for pre-sale an opportunity. If you buy uh, a bulk order of 20 or more for your team or your organization or book club or your clients, then I'll do a zoom call um, to talk about the book and anything else that you want me to talk about and give you a shout out on on my podcast and also on social media. So that's, that's the main focus right now, certainly, but I'm also on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And, uh, you can check out our podcast, which is intentional performers as well.
0: The podcast is really freaking good, by the way, intentional performers. It's freaking awesome with this guy. And he just, you guys get great interviews. Got to got to got to self-plug that that's it's awesome. Just like the book.
1: Well, I appreciate it, bud. And look, like I just want to say this. It's so cool seeing you do what you want to do, and 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 stepping into it. And uh, can't wait to see where where you go with this thing. And um, you know, I've I've enjoyed having really deep and meaningful conversations with you, especially over the last year or so. Um, and you know, this can be a lonely pursuit at times. So I consider you to be a mentor of mine and someone who I bounce ideas off of. And it's been really helpful to have your ear and get your perspective. And, um, you know, I'm just excited for you.
0: Yeah. Thank you, brother. I take those words and I love it and I love you and I'm excited about your success. And, uh, again, thanks for being on. Hey everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please visit me at www.adamesco.com.